Hello and welcome to the Guernsey Press Politics Podcast. My name is James Fuller and with me today I'm pleased to say we've got two guests from the States of Guernsey, two deputies who are new to the uh, House in 2020. That's uh, Deputy Sue Aldwell, who's a member of two committees, uh, both high profile, the uh, Education, Sport and Culture Committee and the Committee for Home Affairs. And Deputy Sasha Kazantzaber Miller, who's a member of Economic Development and the Development and Planning Authority. And also alongside me, I'm pleased to say I've got my colleague Matt Fallows, who'll be offering some thoughts and questions from the from the pod benches. But anyway, we, we're gathered here today, um, people, for uh, primarily because uh, Deputy Aldwell has been in the news recently uh, for two reasons. One, Liberation Day, where she has political responsibility for ESC. And secondly, uh, because she wrote a letter to the Guernsey Press. Uh, I'm going to quote from that letter, if I may. Um, Uh, which says, uh, standing to be a deputy is a big decision for anybody, but probably more so for a woman. Um, We probably feel we have to work twice as hard to prove our worth in what is still very much a man's world. Um, So that was a very interesting letter, and I received it with um, a lot of interest, uh, to be fair. Can I ask you first, though, before we get into why it's so tough, why did you both want to stand for the States? Sue, you first, please. Well, I've always been interested in politics. I can remember as a young girl being about 17, listening to the elections on the radio at the time, um, when that was the parishes. And I remember I was living in the forest and I'd be really excited who was going to get in. And um, and following that, I've always been involved. Um, and I've um, been on counts at St. Peter Port North. Uh, I think that was 2008 or 12. Um, I've also been on the counts and been involved as a as parish constable. So so it's always been exciting, you know, um, who, what's going to happen, how it's going to happen. But actually, um, I, I've always wanted to be in, uh, in it. But um, probably for the last twenty years, I never ever thought it would be a possibility because I have a son uh, with severe autism. So, um, but um, it just happened that the election was called. And that um, I had done five years as a constable and I thought I would really like to have a go at this. My husband had always told me he would divorce me if I did. And um, uh, it was cool. So I had to ask the um, Adult Disability Day Service if they would um, support me. And uh, I emailed them. It came back about two weeks later. Yes, they would support me. And um, then I asked my friends if they would help me because I needed extra childcare. I knew that was going to happen. And uh, the last person I asked one morning was my husband. And he said, if you must. Okay, thank you. Uh, And Sasha, your story. Well, I, I can say that I'm probably the opposite to Deputy Oldwell. I was never interested in politics until pretty much uh, about a year before before the, the election. I was always in the corporate world, very de- you know deeply involved with the corporate world and thought whatever happens in politics actually doesn't affect my um, my my day-to-day life in, in general. I was probably completely wrong, but, you know, na- naive thinking when you're young. Uh, and then I... Um, I I was inspired by the initiative Women in Public Life, 
and politics became something that was on my radar suddenly because often something is not on your radar so you don't even consider that this is within the realm of possibility or interest to you so it kind of started being within uh, my razor. Then we had COVID and I was interested at that point of really in the sustainability and the green transition. And we we engaged with the, with the then government to try to lobby the government to become more sustainable with the Revive and Thrive strategy. And I, I kind of suddenly realized um, you needed to be at the decision-making table to actually probably make a difference. And then the general election came and, and I really thought hard. Uh, I was really on the fence whether to do it or not probably one of the hardest decisions I actually had to make. Uh, and I decided uh, why not and, and, and to go for it. So how do you feel the, the past two and a half years now, isn't it, basically, have been for you? Uh, it, it, it definitely up, 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 ups and downs, uh, challenging. But what you learn about how a country runs, the, the influence you can actually have as just one member, whether being on a committee or within the state assembly, through you know even having one vote uh, or the speech you can make, I think it's absolutely phenomenal. So I think the, the privilege of being in public office is beyond anything that probably anyone can imagine. But I think it also fundamentally also teaches us how much more complex the world is than if you're in the corporate world, you think you know it all. And a lot of people say, well, we just need a few more business people to run the government. But actually, the government works completely differently. It has to deal with many more complex and competing issues. And I think having that much more holistic view of how the whole system of our society works has been absolutely invaluable. And Sue, what's your experience? Well, I'm really lucky to be on two really interesting committees. Um, home affairs, I absolutely love. And um, and I, I enjoy education, sport and culture as well. But home affairs, I can't wait for the pack to come because you never know what's going to be in it. But there are all kinds of trade deals and there are all kinds. At the moment, it's Money Val and it's all the Economic Crime Bureau and the FIU and all of those things that come. And we have the... Um, uh, crown officers come in and everything is explained to us and it's, it's an interesting time and then on top of that which is is a, a big love of mine is the domestic abuse and sexual violence so I get to go to um, safer I get to go to training I get to go to all kinds of places um, and you know um, our chiefs at all the different areas of the um, the prison or the police or the um, uh, fire or wherever it may be. I have so much respect for them. They have so much understanding. So that part of it, I, I absolutely love. I absolutely love what I do. Okay, you say that part of it you absolutely love. I, I, it like comes through in, in, in your passion in what you're saying. Uh, am I right then there's a part of it you don't absolutely love and is that why you wrote to us well yeah actually actually it is because it seems that to me in every area that we work really hard in and I know and I have said many times that every single person is in there because they want to help they want to do a good job for the island okay and uh, I know, because uh, I'm, I'm speaking as a woman, I know we work jolly hard. I know that if I go into a meeting with another woman, she has absolutely read all those papers. She is absolutely prepared to, uh, and knows exactly what's going on. Um, so that is great. But when we see, uh, when I see all the time within the media, or I see um, on the uh, press opinions, 
And it's always negative. There's never anything positive. There's never ever anything which says, well, um, I may not agree with this, but I know that they've worked hard. It's, it's always a downside. And, and also what comes across and uh, what we're teaching within our schools is to know the difference between uh, the opinion and a fact. So what is put out seems to come out as if it's a fact, when invariably it is not. Well, I mean, arguably, that's the modern world, isn't it? That's the world where people comment on Facebook about stories where they've only read a headline or seen a picture rather than, than read the story. But um, I understand your concerns, but were you, were you not aware when you stood for public office that you were going to get brickbats? And has that been better or worse than you feared? Well, it's, it's tricky, isn't it? I think for, for me on education, sport and culture, one of the main things I always bang on about and most of my speeches is respect. And we have to teach respect to young people and, and for society to be respectful. So for those young people, they need to understand and they need to have role models. Well, if someone's always putting out bad comments, then that becomes the norm. But actually, we need to teach them to be respectful. And that is in everything that we do, we need to show young people and be examples to them. But what seems to come out in the media is, is never seems to be respectful. And then it escalates. And that, that isn't good for our young people. But Sasha, I mean, our, you know, our perspective from the media, from the benches of the states meetings is that states meetings are not particularly respectful uh, anymore, certainly not in the, in the way that I would recall them uh, 30 years ago or so. Uh, Sasha, obviously, again, you're new to the states, but have you, uh, where do you stand on, on respect within uh, politics and government at the moment? Yeah, I think it's an interesting word, uh, respect, and I think it always has to be, a two, it's a, always a two-way process. I think if we re expect uh, respect from whether it's media, public, uh, opinion uh, holders, whatever it is, uh, you know, we have to show the same type, type of behavior uh, from, from our side. So I think it's been probably the environment I've worked in in the last two years in the States has been one of the most challenging. Uh, I did call it toxic at another interview, and I stand by by that still because I have not seen this kind of behaviors uh, in the corporate world and I think some of the behaviors I have seen and been you know subject to would not be tolerated in the corporate world and the difference would be that you would have procedures through which you could address the types of behaviors but unfortunately the only procedure we really have is code of conduct at this stage which is not really appropriate for behavioral type addresses uh, and so I don't think we have the right levers in place within the states to actually uh, challenge and address uh, some of the the, the with the behaviours we, 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 we think are inappropriate. Sue's letter to the press included two things which I thought were particularly interesting and sort of took the conversation forward. One was about the experience of women in politics. So Sue's perspective was that it it's, can be tougher for some women in politics because of the, the type of media criticism. Um, and the second point was that... Uh, and I, I'm paraphrasing here, but I think Sue said something like she would think twice about recommending to another woman standing for the States while the environment of debate around the States is, is as it is at the present time. So, Sasha, do, do you agree with, with both parts of, of that analysis? 
So I think with the first part that it could be tougher for women in politics, um, I think Sue is probably absolutely right to say actually uh, it's probably tougher for women in any walks of life because we are often breaking grounds, we are often in the minority, there is still a certain predetermined views of uh, etc which needs to be continued to be challenged and I would absolutely concur with her when she says the women in the room will would have always read her <laughs> and been prepared and would be asking probably the detailed and difficult questions because we still probably feel we have to go above and beyond to prove ourselves uh, and that puts a lot of pressure on us in addition to all the other things we have to do as uh, mothers daughters wives uh, friends uh, community leaders etc it's a huge amount of uh, a constant assembly line Uh, and so uh, I, I, sometimes you it, it also then coincides with feeling, well, perhaps you're being picked at because you're a woman and if it was a man, similar comments or the tone of comments wouldn't be made. So I, I, so I would say I, I agree, I think. So do you have a regular experience in the States where, where you feel that, that if, if you were a man saying or doing the same thing, you would provoke a different response from some of your male colleagues than you do as a woman? I wouldn't say it's regular, but I've certainly had experiences uh, in, 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 within committees and in the States pre previously. I wouldn't say it's... I think it's get, it's the, the dynamics are changing and uh, I haven't experienced it probably recently, but certainly, uh, especially at the beginning of the term. But I think what's important is that it's about the future. And it's about what can we do about it. And it's really, it's about... Uh, things need to change. We need to find ways uh, to work for the community. We need to find ways to address these issues. We need to find ways to encourage more people, good people to stand. And I think, I personally think there hasn't been a better time for women to stand for politics, for public office, or for, to be honest, other high level uh, positions and push up push themselves to places where maybe their mothers and grandmothers ha haven't been. So um, Sasha has, has described states that she has lived through for the past two and a half years. Seems to be slightly different experience to, to yours, though we haven't actually directly asked you about you know um, uh, toxicity within you know within committees within states meetings. Have you f had any of those experiences that Sasha outlines? I think it's. Um, I think we're all going to give uh, a different perspective, aren't we? Because we all uh, have uh, different. Um, examples to give but I would say um, I can honestly say in home affairs that I ha it's, it's a great committee to be on and I am given the utmost respect and I would say that I don't uh, I would say probably the same in um, education sport and culture I don't have that within the states it's really strange really because you know we don't social I don't well I don't socialize outside of the states with any of the members uh, you know I sit next door to um, Deputy Mahoney and uh, the things we have in common we both like rugby we both have cats we both like cats and uh, his wife makes superb cakes so uh, we always have something to talk about but it's actually invariably never about <laughs> um, what's going on in the states or about any other particular politician it's normally him showing me photographs of his cats really so <laughs> <laughs> But, so, so why did you say you would not or at the present time you wouldn't be wanting to encourage uh, other women into politics I just think that it needs to be nicer I just think that you know I, I spoke about the media because as I said before you know what is a fact and and uh, what is an opinion are two different things and so um 
I would think, I mean, you know, I wouldn't want my daughter. I have a 25-year-old daughter. I, I wouldn't want her having the worry of it. I don't do Twitter. I don't see any of the comments. The Very, very rarely I see a comment unless someone sends it to me. So I don't have that worry. I sleep really well at night, you know. Um, I, I, Being where I am, people phone me up. I'm out and about. I'm, out, I'm up in the upper parishes. People stop me. They give me their points of view. I'm very happy. Someone asks me to chase something up. I will chase something up. You know, that's what happens. Let's face it, I mean, you know, points of view face to face are rarely disrespectful. I think you know, most people can you know, hold themselves to a, a level of behaviour when, when they're attacking you face to face. My colleague here, of course, in political days has had uh, the, the other extreme in terms of, uh, you know, constant stream of, of bile on uh, social media or, or forums or whatever. Um, is, you know, that I'm sure must be must be off putting for potential candidates, male or female. Um, Sasha, is that something that, that you thought about? You know, you had relatively low uh, profile in Guernsey un un until you stood and then suddenly you are very much putting your head over the parapet. It must be uncomfortable, surely. I think the engagement with, with public is an art and, and a science. And uh, I think we master, master it uh, to our peril throughout different policies and different committees. I think each case is really, really different. So we've had some fantastic examples of communication with public and engagements through the COVID era. And that openness and transparency, uh, I think, just shows how things could be different and uh, some projects policies whatever it is of uh, kind of fall under the wrong side of someone's uh, desk or whatever it is and uh, really have challenging roads getting getting ahead so i think i think each each policy or each case is is probably different i would say so i think i i haven't been you know maybe i'm on, on less controversial committees even though i'm on the planning committee so you could say we've we have our, our fair share of uh, controversy uh, over the last uh, six months or so but I think you 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 try to find a way through which you can engage with the public and the communication with the public and being accessible is, is extremely important and finding the right way that works for different people is quite important but it probably would be different for different people because not everyone is, as you said, on social media, for example. Not everyone wants to be out there doing interviews on radio, podcasts, whatever it is. So I think we all have to find our way, but I think we need to find a way that's comfortable. But I think we need to recognise as public figures that's kind of part of the job as well. Do you feel, Sue, that that, that you know, the, the ever-present chance of criticism encourages you as a, as a politician perhaps to take a, a lower profile? Is, is, does it mean that some of your colleagues are reluctant to put their head over the parapet to, to say something controversial? Um, I don't, I, I, I'm not quite sure what other people um, think. I can't, um, I can't speak for other people, but I, I know a lot of, I know what it does do on social media is take a lot of time. And so uh, for me, I have two major committees. I have about 16, 18 subcommittees. I have, and in those, I have um, nine um, uh, governing boards. I have six school committees. I have Duzane uh, Liaison I was on, the Children's Law I was on. I, I have so much work that when I come home of an evening, that is when my day starts again and I have all my papers to prepare for the next day. So I could sit on social media, but actually my time's spent um, getting on with um, what I need to do. But if invariably, if there's something 
that has upset somebody. I get to see it. Someone sends it to me. But, you know, you all need to sleep at night. People, they have um, keyboard warriors then, and they have no understanding of what it can do to affect you. But not just you, um, your family. And my husband gets upset. My daughter, I've seen her in tears at some stages. And I just say, don't look, don't look. You know, don't get upset by it. And, and sometimes... It's easier just not to see it. If someone needs me to see it, they'll send it to me. Yeah, I think yeah, I think we all admire uh, politicians who are prepared to put the their um, uh, put themselves in the line of fire in in that way. So uh, respect to you both. Um, let's just move the, the conversation on a little bit uh, to the current um, state uh, funding challenge after the um, failure of the of the uh, the tax review uh, debate to, to reach a conclusion. The two of you, of course, were on opposite sides of that uh, debate. Where Sue, you were uh, in favour of GST, and I think you wrote us uh, a, a long letter to explain why and thank you for that and Sasha you were a key part of the, the fairer alternative um, you know nothing got through so where do, where do you assess where you are today and obviously you've got a big debate coming up in the summer now about um, what the what the next move will, will be in terms of setting some spending priorities with limited cash so where do you stand on, on the whole thing now? Well, uh, you know, what we have been tasked with is, for example, home affairs. We've had all our chiefs in about six weeks ago and uh, looking at where cuts can be made. I know that they did exactly the same thing in 2018 and uh, cuts were made then and um, budgeted budgets um I don't think in home affairs, actually, the budget has gone up for the last 10 years, except by RPI. Uh, within education, we've done exactly the same. We've gone through everything and we're, we're looking at everything. Nothing is off the table. Everything is on the table. So we're very sensible and we do under, understand what we what we have to do. And, you know... Um, we have uh, the subcommittee, we had a letter today from the subcommittee and we have Sasha on that committee and I have every confidence in her. I have every confidence in the rest of that committee that um, they will look at, at where we are and they will put their views forward. What kind of size of cuts are you looking at? I mean, in, in pounds, shillings and pence on your two committees, you've got budgets of tens of millions of pounds. So give, can you give us some idea of what size of, of cuts where you're, you're looking at? Right. Well, uh, in education, sport and culture, then um, are we if we were going to cut 3%, we are talking about two and a half million. And in home affairs, um, I think our budget, I think our budget's 35 million. So um, uh, 3% of that, what are we talking, a million, probably. So uh, uh, and for for that, that is extremely difficult in home affairs. Um, and you're expecting to, to have to deliver cuts of that size, are you? Or, or is this an exercise where you're asked hypothetically to identify some areas where you would make cuts if you had to make those cuts? I think that, um, well, I'm going, we've had a letter today uh, from the subcommittee. And so I think we'll pass that over to my colleague. So, so I think I think uh, we have two processes to go through as government right now. One is the the budget cycle through which we need to, as all committees, have to identify two point five to three percent savings. 
Uh, and what's interesting, the fair alternative proposals advocated for 1% savings. And I think I remember Deputy Oldville very avidly standing up and saying it was absolutely impossible. But obviously now, uh, you know, the committees have to do much more this year and next year and everyone is just getting on with it. It's just an example of one of those things when we stand up and say certain things in Parliament, uh, they actually probably, you know, not based on facts and, and reality. But so we have to go through the budgetary process in terms of cutting up to 3% of our budgets this year. And then there is the longer term projects in terms of looking more structurally at public services. And the commitment is to 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 cut up to 16 million from, from basically uh, general expenditure within the next uh, five-year horizon. And what's interesting is we looked as part of that subgroup at the financial transformation program, which was completed about 10 years ago, and which was one of the most successful and transformative change programs that government undertook uh, in its time. Uh, it saved about 828 um, um, million uh, pounds, so a huge, you know, actually a very significant amount of money. So we're looking at uh, less than that amount this time. And what was interesting is that when the program started, a lot of the committees were saying, no, no, we're already run very efficiently. We already, you know, nothing to see. It's everyone else has to do something. And I think there's a bit of that. I'm certainly seeing a bit of that mentality still right now in this current state saying, you know, we've absolutely doing everything the best we can. We run absolutely efficiently and there's nothing else to do. And I think what we're trying to say is that we want to look at things a bit differently. This is not about salami slicing. This is about thinking differently, thinking outside the box, thinking how we could deliver services differently, thinking about structural change, and possibly thinking about cessation as well, because uh, often we talk about, we pretend to be a G G7, G20 jurisdiction and have everything gold plated and up to UK and beyond standards. But obviously, you know, we have a much lower tax take than all of the other jurisdictions. We just simply cannot afford uh, the same level of uh, potential services. So I think we have to go through a reality check. Uh, and I think uh, what the fair alternative tried to the fair alternative was not against GST. What we're proposing is a different approach where there was a at least a two-prong approach where the government was showing and was showing the commitment that it was doing the best in containing expenditure which was completely going out of control over the last several budget cycles to say that the government was doing its job and that it wasn't just expecting for the public and the business to shoulder all the burden and for all of that taxation of 75 plus million to be effectively taken out of the economy and to to finance the uncontrollably the uncontrollable public expenditure. So we said you have to do both. You have to constrain uh, and reform public services, and then you have to look at revenue raising measures. But you spoke about I think 16 million. You said over five, not 16 million, 16, 16 yeah, million one, one, potentially six. over five years. But uh, this might be sceptical, but realistically, cuts of that order are just not going to be made, are they? We we have to make them because otherwise we are uh, well we're in an, in in an unsustainable financial situation based on uh, uh, demographics uh, of tax 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 position, but also uh, really the the public public sector spend has been uh, spiraling beyond inflation uh, for the last uh, ten years. So we do really have to address uh, those structures that look at it structurally, which is why we're trying to look at it structurally and to see it's not just about cut, cutting services. Can we can we think a bit more creatively? Can we look at commissioning, outsourcing, um, efficiencies, etc.? 
And just as a reminder, it, it, it was achieved through the FTP program and £28 million pounds were saved. In. But so you made, Sasha's already referred to this, quite a passionate speech based not on particularly wanting GST, but on the consequences for services if large cuts had to be made in the absence of raising taxes. So when you hear a figure like £16 million over a period of five years, do you share my scepticism that whatever the figures might say in, in budgets and states' accounts, that those cuts are just not going to be made in reality? It's going to be extremely painful. And um, we are going to have to cut services there is no other way around it. And there is going to be a great deal of upset among the public. How could there not be? But cutting that amount of money is is massive. And we ha we're going to have to do something, but there's going to have to be a reality check. Um, and also, um, HSC is out of this. So it is the rest of us which it's are... Not, it's not out of the the cost-cutting project. It's out of the budget the budget cycle, but not the cost-cutting uh, project. So the budget million. for next year effectively is protected, or an RPI increase is protected, but over the five-year period, you mean? But the six, the 16 million be, cut project, could include everyone HSC. is in scope. Yeah, just to, sorry to correct okay. it. So well, that's good. I'm, I'm delighted because yeah. we were kind of, you know, where, where, where is it going to come from? Uh, yeah. I don't know where it's going to come from, um, but it will be good to, because that's what everyone is tasked with. And so that's great. Um, we will uh, have a reality check and, um, yeah. I guess neither of you came into politics with the, with the dream of uh, of cutting budgets and uh, and removing services from the from the public, though. I mean, that, is that uh, a difficult position to to find yourself? Not for me. I always said it was necessity over niceties, and and so uh, on my little tiny parish, cutting budgets. Uh, you know, um, it was some hard things had to be done. You know, just for the maintenance of the parish, we cut it down from something silly like twenty eight thousand a year down to about fourteen, um, and it was just because there were particular people that were well, I don't know, they hadn't actually looked at it. And um, so we were managed to get our rates down from 76p to 27p um, because of that in our tiny little parish. So it's always been, I, I understand it. I mean, we're, bud we're women. We have to budget. That's what we do in our household. So uh, we, know, we know how to do that and, and we know what has to be done. So, no, it was never that. Um, uh, we un I understood that. I understood that. Sasha, I mean, how's it, what's it like being right at the centre of it in, on, the, uh, on the subcommittee? I think it's very exciting. I think ultimately uh, every islander would have had an experience of some kind of inefficiency or being unhappy with uh, some kind of public service. And obviously the public services are so broad that, you know, where where do you start, where do you finish? But I think the issue is that probably each one of us could could come back with something where they say, listen, do you think, I think this could have been done better. And I think this starts from that basic principles. The The, the experience of everyone is that things could be better. And what we're trying to say through this program, I believe, is to say, listen, can we do things a bit better? Can we look at uh, how we deliver? How do we do certain things in a slightly different way? And I honestly think there's always scope for change because everything is changing. Technology, you know, there's so many different headwinds and macro trends that are coming our way. So we always have to be constantly innovating. So to me, it's about how can we as an organization keep 
keep moving forward, uh, keep adapting, keep changing. Uh, and I think where else could you have a role where, as you said, you're in the center of it all, you know, and Deputy Oldwell is in the center of some you know, such major transformational and key projects. It's, it couldn't be more exciting. And I follow the work of the economist Mariana Mazzucato, who, is, who uh, set up uh, a uh, Institute of Public Policy and Purpose at the University College London. And she's very critical of uh, of external consultants in the UK. And she said, there couldn't be a more exciting place to work than in public service, because you are dealing with the biggest societal problems and changes anywhere else. You wouldn't be able to get a job like that anywhere else. But the perception of working in the civil service, right, especially right now in Guernsey, it's not great. I think we really need to change. We really need to make it a more exciting place uh, to work so that it can attract and retain the best people. And in jurisdictions like Singapore, being in the civil service is the most important and high paid job. So they attract the best the best brains. And so I'm worried about the capability of the civil service to continue operating in the way we need. And I think we really shouldn't underestimate the importance of building up that capability. And we all have a role to play and media as well. Uh, is the subcommittee making headway? Are you pleased with the progress so far? Uh, yes, absolutely. So just today we've sent uh, sent uh, emails to all the committees and deputies. I think there's going to be a press release coming out either well imminently, I believe. Uh, and so we are uh, we've committed to come back to PNR with proposals in early next year, uh, and we really want to get cracking. And we are going to follow basically a three pronged approach where we are looking to engage with obviously the committees who are going to be absolutely key. Uh, in actually executing any kind of changes and, and projects, but also getting ideas from the public and also the civil service itself, because that's that's the, the well of knowledge. Okay. Uh, there's a hint in this debate, uh, the you know, GST versus the fair alternative as, as it continues, um, you know, uh, uh, allegations of, uh, of toxicity within the states and, and two sides truly emerging nowadays. Uh, are you finding that to be uh, to be your experience? Sasha, I'll ask you first. Well, I, I've come to a point where, you know, we're halfway through, more than halfway through now. There's two years left and I really just want to do as much as I can for the community. So, you know, like I work across, you could say, across the political spectrum. I've put myself forward to this, uh, we call it cost-cutting subcommittee. So I'm working with, you know, deputies Mahoney, Vermeulen, uh, Mirvelt and uh, non-states members. I don't care who I'm working with. I just want to work with uh, with to drive uh, to drive changes to drive policy uh, uh, I was behind uh, basically putting forward the resolution that was approved about the vision and economic so social environmental model which Deputy Murray is now leading so I'm working with Deputy Murray and De Deputy Dudley Owen and actually as a steering group to take it forward so I just want to make things happen and actually as we all start working closer together I think those potential perceived whatever barriers or groupings or whatever we call them that definitely exist actually break and that's been my experience over the last few months and i hope actually more of that happens over the next two years nevertheless uh, around the time as i've already mentioned that, that sue wrote her letter to the guernsey press deputy heidi salisbury wrote another one essentially saying that pnr needed to change its style of leadership or go i mean she, she was talking about them yeah you know, potentially having to resign 
I spoke to Deputy uh, Peter Furbrush a day or two later, and that's very much how he read it. He thought it was a, a direct leadership challenge. I mean, Sue, you, in your letter, didn't refer to division in the States, but you spoke about perceptions of toxicity in the States. How did you feel about the letter that, that Deputy Salisbury put together? Um, to be perfectly honest, I didn't read it all. Um, I read some of it. Uh, I kind of flushed a reading it. But, you know, it's the, exactly the same when you were in the States, Matt. Uh, they were part of your state's uh, members who more or less voted one particular way. And there are others that didn't. So I can honestly say with my hand on my heart that I have never voted for anything that I didn't agree with. Um, we do have different views. Everyone will have a different view. Um, I don't, as I said uh, to you before, I don't socialise outside of the States. I don't, um, uh, I don't think, I, I think I've sat at, for dinner with, or lunch with Deputy Fairbrush once. I, I don't, the papers come, I read them through, we talk uh, among ourselves. Obviously, I am very much um when you're on a committee, you are supporting that committee. Uh, and that's where I um, am. Um, I, it was interesting, actually, at Christmas time, I was at a, a, a do, a dozen do at the forest. And I was with um, uh, someone um, uh, there. And he, he, someone asked about the states. And he said, well, you know, I, I never see Sue because I, I, the committees that I'm on, she's not in them and we just don't we we d kind of do work separately really so within the states um i don't agree with some people there is nobody in the states i dislike nobody i might not agree with them but i've only ever voted the way that i my conscience allows me to vote and you don't think there's more division in the states than you expected to find do you i uh, yeah did I expect? No, because last term, uh, I, I knew that there would be um, those that voted one. How could there not be? Because that is where it is, you know, what we have within our uh, within um, Westminster. There, there are people with different views. So that's the way um, that, that's the way it goes, really. I kind of find it odd because it's not because it's not because I'm in a tribe. If I don't agree with you, I'm tribal. But what if you don't agree with me? Are you tribal? It's kind of really odd. I find it odd. Is the suggestion not, irrespective of who is to blame or what's, how it's developed in this way, that there is a bl larger group of deputies now on both sides, if I can use the term sides, who vote with each other more frequently. So maybe that if one went back a few years ago, you were talking about when you were interested in politics, mm. observing from the outside, that there was more fluidity in how in voting patterns. Whereas now, more often than not on major issues, you can be pretty certain what the outcome is going to be before it goes to the vote, because there are larger and clearer blocks of deputies. I mean, do you, do you not does it not feel that way when you're oh, yes. sat in the states? Absolutely, you know. I look and I know, I know how someone, everyone knows, but um, how most people will vote. But then that is because they are aligned. They, it's not because you're tribal. It's because you have the same 
kind of ideals really or you know I, I remember when the abortion one came in and um and I was um to me it was abhorrent but to others it, it was the way to go and there was no way that I was ever going to vote for it um so I voted differently to most people and it went through and there are other times that um it, who you are makes you vote the way you do. Okay, well, that, that's been a very interesting discussion about uh, what life is like in politics. If you're interested in continuing this discussion, uh, Women in Public Life Guernsey are hosting an event on the 12th of June called It Doesn't Have to Be This Way, when they're going to explore how they think uh, Guernsey politics could work better for everyone. And we've got two deputies on that panel, two female deputies, uh, Andrea Dudley-Owen and Heidi Soulsby. Um, so I think that will be a, a very uh, interesting follow-on from, from this podcast. So um, uh, tickets are available at through Eventbrite. Anyway, um, before we leave you for today, we just better cast our minds back a week or so and Liberation Day, where um, we had a bit of a hybrid event this year, a bit going on in town, a bit going on in the parishes. And uh, Sue, so, you know, you have political responsibility for this and you think that's uh, that's the way forward. Is, is that fair? Well, it's tricky, isn't it? Because everyone has an idea of how they would like their liberation to be. So what we do know is that um, the big celebrations in town, it was interesting that Matt had put some things, people would love the funfair back. Actually, when we look back in history, the trouble that has been caused down there by those funfairs, um, and I know that um, the magistrate, Mr Finch, was uh, having to knock people's heads together, literally. Um, so uh, for me, uh, I, what I do know are the parishes... Um, do like to have celebrations in them. I know that if we have 63,000 people living here, 13 may go into town for a big celebration, but 50 won't. And what we see when we have the island cavalcade, which has been absolutely brilliant when you go around on it, is people, individual people having parties at their homes. Uh, and you see the older generation outside in their driveways waiting for, the, for them to come along. Um, when I went out and about on Liberation Day, I had my family uh, come home because I wanted to celebrate liberation with them before I went off. Um, and then going down to St. Peter's, it was heaving. It was so joyous. It was just lovely to see all those people coming along, children together and families being together. And then going into town again afterwards, and I went pop, quick popped into St. Martin's. How was your how was your uh, uh, do and um, they'd had a great time 450 um, hog roast uh, they really enjoyed it to hear the veil um, and and it the veil for me with Bill Coyhew was great to hear him but as he said Richard Leal his his counterpart um, his um, uh, yeah his other constable would rather not do it but he feels that he has to do it. The forest, Jeff Fox, he thought it was absolutely brilliant. They love to do it. It is So it is a real, real mixture. But we went out to the public and we asked them, what do you want for liberation? And they said that they didn't want to see Front Sunday, but they did want something in town that would bring people together. And, and um, so we brought the cavalcade, well, asked the cavalcade, and they agreed to come into town. That was great. People could do that. And then afterwards, we had our event on the pier. The pier, it was brilliant. It was humming. When I stood on the stage and I thanked everybody, all those volunteers, whether it was from the military or uh, doing their parades, or if it was from all the volunteers around the, the parishes, if it was for those great people that were the dairy and uh, Collis Krill, which put out the hampers, and they had so many letters of thank you. 
everyone came up to Beaujolais and got their parcels, the smiles, the stories, it brought everyone together. So we have, it's difficult, isn't it? We cannot please everyone. So we have listened, we've heard, and we understand that they would like to be a bit more for families uh, between the 12 and the five or three. So we're going to have to listen and we're going to have to see what we can do. But then we are building up coming out of COVID and we have the 80th. So I think that is going to be uh, a wonderful celebration. And at the moment, yes, um, I think probably going forward, we can't force the Jezains to do anything in the parishes. We're very grateful for those that do do those things because it is for their parishioners. Not everyone wants to go in town, but um, looking forward to the 80th. So can I just clarify, is the 80th, the intention for the 80th, it may probably aren't finalised plans but is the intention i know the intention is to do something very large in town but would that be alongside an invitation for every parish to do its own thing as well or in that one year because it's the 80th celebration the intention will be that the events will move back into town if, even if it's for one year only i can't answer you i would love to be able to say yes but i can't answer you what i do know is that we are building up for the 80th and you know st peter's uh, who had the most brilliant um event and, and so did other parishes <laughs> but they would love to carry on you know because they're they're parishioners and they have a, a good team um but we do need to have a humdinger for the 80th and i mean you've held you've been involved and you've um dealt with those so it is a slow build to what we're going to be doing but obviously there will be a lot more but it it is a celebration we are going to go out to the public we are meeting um i think um our coordinators meeting with the different parishes that have held events um we're having wash-ups and uh, and then you know then we have to we've started but we really need to go into what we're going to do for the 80th uh, sasha what's your idea of a good liberation day it's smiles and people having fun i think it's very important to actually evolve with the times and listen to what the community wants to do so i think actually uh the hybrid model seems to be uh in general wor working so I, I i think that's probably the way to go okay well nice to get a bit of agreement at the end of our of our show today so uh <laughs> we'll we'll wind things up here thanks very much to deputy sue aldwell and sasha cousin saver miller for joining us today uh, thanks to uh, my colleague matt for uh, sharing out uh, the work here on the benches and uh, we'll see you next time on the guernsey press politics podcast bye for now <laughs>